Please be seated. You may have noticed, but Justin Welby, who's the present Archbishop of Canterbury, he's currently touring Australia. He was the one who delivered the brief eulogy at the late Queen's funeral in Westminster Abbey just a few short weeks ago. Welby's parents were both alcoholics. They divorced when he was three. So despite a troubled start to life, he managed to make it to Cambridge, where he earned a master's degree studying law and history. He worked in the petroleum industry in France and the UK for 11 years as a senior financial executive. When he was working back in London, he became a, a lay leader at Holy Trinity Church, which is the home church of Alpha. He left secular employment and entered seminary in 1989. He was ordained in 1992 and only 21 years later in 2013 was appointed Archbishop of Canterbury, the worldwide head of the Anglican Church. I was lucky enough to hear him being interviewed on the ABC on Friday and then again to read more of his views in the paper yesterday. There was a lot to consider in what he had to say. So let us pray. Father God, we thank you for all those appointed to leadership roles in your church, in every congregation, in every denomination, in every country, all under the leadership and headship of Jesus. We pray for these, our leaders, and we pray particularly for Sam. We pray you'll encourage him and lead and guide him in all the situations he faces. We ask for your blessing for him and his family, especially as they all take well-earned leave. Father, your servant Justin Wilby has said that the present economic and environmental challenges and those of human development and global poverty can only be faced with extraordinary Christ-liberated courage. Father, as we look around the world around us, help, help us not to become dispirited and detached. We pray, Father, for that extraordinary courage that only comes from freedom in Christ to face these many challenges and not shrink from them. Lead us and guide us, Father, we pray, and encourage us and motivate us in what you would have us do and have us contribute both as individuals and as your local church. Father, Justin Welby also stated that there's every possible reason for optimism about the future of the Christian faith in our world. So, Father, when in this country, your church and your people <coughs> are being subjected to cancel culture, when Christians in their churches are being attacked and mocked, remind us, Father, that your word tells us to expect this. Remind us, Father, that your church has weathered all the storms, all the persecutions, repressions and conflicts for 2,000 years. Remind us, Father, how your church thrives under persecution and give us that optimism about the future of our faith that dispels negativity and encourages us to let your light shine through us for all men to see. Father Justin Welby has also said that the church transforms society when it takes the risks of renewal in prayer, in reconciliation and of confident declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, help us, we pray this morning, that as we read through the book of Acts and especially about the Jerusalem Council this morning, we can see this as the first example of the church renewing itself through prayer, through reconciliation and confident declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ, that salvation is by faith through grace. Father, help us, we pray, to take risks in your name. Help us, we pray, to be a constantly renewing church, a transforming church, that can be active in transforming our community and society. 
help our church to be a reconciling church in our local community and wider Australian society. Father, we pray again, give us that confidence to go out and boldly declare the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you all here, and I just want to extend my welcome to that of uh, Dan's and Sue's. Uh, particularly if you're online uh, watching uh, this service, we welcome you and hope that you sense uh, God's blessing and comfort and warmth as you uh, gather where you are uh, and as we're gathering where we are. Uh, I notice there are a number of, of guests. Uh, I particularly want to just say hello to Dennis and Nolene Prince who are down here. Now, I don't know about you guys, but these guys have blessed my life incredibly and you might not know how. They compiled the praise and worship books that many of us used for many years in our church services. My, uh, my mum was in charge of worship when I was growing up as a teenager and I used to help my mum compile and get, get the service ready. And I got to the point where, particularly in the 600s, you could name a song and I could name the number. <laughs> like 610, oh Lord, you're beautiful. And... Don't test me beyond that now because I've probably forgotten most of them. But uh, I used to memorise and, and know the numbers that went with the song. So it's wonderful to have you guys with us. And uh, Dennis has written a book on the, the Holy Spirit, which is quite apt because we are in the middle of a, a sermon series, a, a teaching series on the book of Acts. And uh, as I've been saying uh, all along as we've been studying this wonderful book from Dr. Luke. Uh, we're calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because Luke is not interested in the, the prestige or the power of people. Uh, really, we see the, the, the Spirit empowering ordinary people like you and me, fishermen and ordinary men and women, to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. And we see the way the Spirit moves and acts and causes things to happen. Spirit even uses things like disagreements to move people certain, certain ways. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts chapter 15, we've uh, if, you, if you're new, we've been going through chapter by chapter, kind of verse by verse in this teaching series, looking at the, the wonderful story in the book of Acts. And now next week, as Dan mentioned, Mike's going to be leading a time. At the end of each uh, sermon, I've been sort of saying three questions. And those questions might help you if you've got something on your heart you might want to share and that might encourage the church body together. What, what, has, what have you been challenged by? What has sort of maybe challenged your own thinking, your own theology as you've read through the book of Acts? Uh, what is Jesus saying to us as a local church? What does the local church look like as we look at what the early church and how they arranged themselves and their priorities? And what is Jesus saying to you? What has Jesus personally been saying to you? In fact, the whole reason I chose to do a, a teaching series on the book of Acts to begin with was at the start of the year, we had a, a vision, a calling from God, where we felt like the Lord was saying to us, it's a year to be making a difference. It's a year for our church, both individually and corporately, to be making a difference in our world and in our lives. And so I just wanted to start with just a little bit of a challenge and ask a question. In your own life, in your own faith, in your own journey, have you seen a difference in your life this year? If you reflect back to the start of the year and to now, and you, you look at your own life, your own growth, have you grown, have you developed, have you matured, have you made a difference in your own faith journey? Well, you've got three more months till the end of the year, so there's still time. Don't let me stop you as we continue on teaching. So we're in the story of the book of Acts. And just a quick uh, recap. 
Uh, all up until the last two chapters, the first missionary journey, we've seen the church really connected to the Jewish community. Uh, and, it's, and it's really sort of still being connected to the culture and the traditions of the, the Jewish church as, as the, the disciples were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. It came out of that world. And now, in, uh, as the, the gospel is now going to the Gentile world, uh, Gentile is just a word for a non-Jewish person, we're seeing now uh, a shift where the church is now uh, beginning to separate from its, its birth home, if you like, and become its, its own identity, become its own uh, mission, its own uh, movement. And we're going to see that in today's chapter. This is kind of where it really kind of happens and it all happens out of a disagreement. And I love that. I love that Luke puts things like disagreements in the book of Acts because it shows that these were normal, everyday people that shows their humanness. And we can be encouraged by that. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why we can trust the Gospels and we can trust Acts and, and the early writings of the church because they don't, they don't hide their mistakes. They don't hide their failures. They, they put it all out there for us to see. So the human condition is that we all agree. We all agree? No, we all agree? <laughs> Do you agree with that statement? <laughs> Part of being human is that we disagree, right? I mean, put two people in a room and... Leave them long enough, and I'm sure they'll start to disagree on something. In fact, Walter Martin said, if you can find two people who think exactly the same on everything, then one of them isn't thinking. <laughs> Some disputes, both personally and in the church, really aren't worth ha ha having. Some disputes are those peripheral things that that really don't matter to the heart and the, the gospel of, of faith. But some things are really worth fighting for. The foundational truths of the message of Jesus, the foundational truths that these apostles gave their lives for to, to give and to spread the good news of Jesus. And this is what we find today. Paul, Barnabas, James, Peter, they're fighting over this because this is probably one of the most important things in the world, what they're fighting over. And they're fighting over how does a person get saved. For the early apostles, it was simple. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's a lot of alones there, but that's the whole point. If you look at, at Peter's sermons, if you look at Paul's sermons, if you, everything through, up until now as they've, been, as they've been declaring what the gospel is, it is grace, undeserved favour, that a person gets saved. Now, for them, it's Jesus. That's it. It's all about Jesus. But for others, they're saying it's Jesus and. It's Jesus and something. And we see this all throughout our Christian world today. It's, well, it's Jesus and being part of the right denomination. Or it's Jesus and speaking in tongues. Or it's Jesus and singing the right worship songs. It's Jesus and, like, let's add something to the gospel. But what they're adamant about and we find today is that it's no it's just Jesus not Jesus and and it's a question that we're still in dispute about today how does a person get saved why because I think it's really hard to get the concept of grace if you've got children and you've got siblings uh, the children have siblings very quickly they start saying this word this phrase, it's not fair. Any parents hear that a lot? It's just not fair. He got more chocolate pudding than I did. It's not fair. And I think that's our problem when it comes to the concept of grace, is that it's not fair. 
Yes, that's right. It's not fair. You don't deserve it. But that's the whole point, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he laid upon himself the sin of you and I. While we had our backs turned, while we were rebellious, while we didn't deserve it, and he forgave us of our sins, and he's given us new freedom and life, and he's adopted us into his family. None of us deserve that, but he's given it freely to us. So we think it's not fair. So today, that's the, the context of today's reading in Acts chapter 15, is the gospel's going forward, people are getting saved, the Gentiles are coming to faith, massive movement of the Holy Spirit is breaking out, and the, the people who originally were part of kind of the Jewish community are saying, hey, it's not fair. We spent our whole life sort of around these traditions and doing these things to earn favour, to, to boost our, our popularity with God, to, to do the right things, to be a good person. And now these riffraff are all being saved without all the stuff that we had to do. And that's the whole point. So today, if you want a short version of the sermon, it's this. People are saying... In order to be a Christian, you have to be a Jew first. That's the dispute. And today, thankfully, as the council got together in Jerusalem and discussed this idea, they said, no, you don't have to become a Jew first. You just can be a Christian. Hallelujah. You can just come to faith in Jesus. So let's look at the... If you want to open your Bibles, uh, youth, if you need to get your, your Bibles as well, feel free to do that. Acts chapter 15, and we're going to be going through, as we've been, been doing throughout this teaching series, sort of verse by verse. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people... I didn't get very far. We're going to stop there. <laughs> certain people. We all have certain people in our lives, don't we? You know, no, when, he, when you start a phrase like that, certain people, you know what we're talking about, those troublemakers, those people in our lives that want to bring us down, people who want to contradict or sort of de-puff up our faith. Those certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, if you look at the, the map, here is the church in Antioch where they were first called Christians, where Paul and Barnabas are sent on their first missionary journey to the area of Galatia up here. Now, if you say that uh, Judea is down here, if they say they came down to Antioch, why is Antioch up? <laughs> I, I used to get really confused by that. Thought, these people got their sort of maps all wrong. But Jerusalem was high up on a hill, so they're talking about coming down from the mountain to Antioch, but they're going up geographically. So certain people came down the hill from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. They sort of had some sort of authority in the way that they're, they're teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. There it is. You've got to become a Jew first. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, has anyone got a different translation there? Because this has been translated many different ways, what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. Has someone got no small dissension? Yeah, this was no small thing. Uh, this, is, this is a big thing here, guys. Has someone got argued vehemently? Like, Wah. okay, so this is one of those foundational things worth getting upset about. They were in sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up the hill to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, how is one way that you can silence those people who come and, and do share negative things in the church? Well, God's given us gifts, and one of those gifts is the gift of discernment. And here, this gift is going to be outworked. So 
one or two people are saying this one thing, well, let's get the whole counsel of the body of Christ. Because if God's going to be saying this, if this is true, then this is going to be discerned through his body, right? Everyone's going to agree. And so one way of, of, of silencing them is to say, well, hey, let's, let's take this to the authorities. Let's take this to the whole council of the body of Christ and let's, let's discern this together. Because if, if it is of God, then it will be true. If it's not, then we can say, well, that's your good idea. Thank you very much. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made the believers very sad. <laughs> There's another reason, right? So he, let's look at the whole council of the church. If, if this is true, that would have made them sad. They would have said, oh, but it made them glad. This is a good thing. God, God is in this. This is how we discern what God is wanting to do amongst us. They were very glad. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So their first missionary journey, going to Cyprus and to the area of Galatia, setting up churches, uh, you know, people coming to faith, Gentiles having faith in Jesus. This is an amazing thing. It's the same spirit that was given to us as a seal of our salvation is given to the Gentiles. There's proof. But these certain people didn't seem to just be going to Antioch. In fact, they had such, such a mission to undo what the, the, the apostles had done and what Paul and Barnabas had done. They actually went to all the places in Galatia where they had just set up churches. In fact, if you, uh, if you turn over in your Bibles to Galatians, I'm just going to quickly read to you here. So this is Paul's letter to the region that he just ministered to and set up churches. And in, in Galatians chapter 1, I've got a very small Bible here. Uh, from verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no re really no gospel. Like There's no good news in works. It's no gospel. <laughs> Evidently, some people, certain people, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Wow, that's strong language, isn't it? And then he repeats himself again. When you see people repeating themselves in the New Testament, that's an explanation mark because they didn't have explanation marks. <laughs> like this is, this is a serious thing. In fact, uh, Jude, in his one chapter letter, writes this, Dear friends, I feel compelled to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith, to argue for, defend, fight for the faith that was once entrusted to all God's holy people. For certain individuals, they just keep popping up, don't they? Certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. One thing that you'll find about these certain people, and we have certain people in our church communities today, certain people are never sent from a church. And certain people never have their own church to start with. They like going to other churches to spread their dissension. That's, how, that's a good way you can decipher certain people. They're unwilling to start their own church but they're willing to go to other churches to, to say their bit. So we've got these certain people. They go to this council, and they're all together there in Jerusalem, the church leaders, Paul and Barnabas, and perhaps some other people. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised. They must go through the Jewish rituals, food customs, 
festivals, circumcision, and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, these are not the Pharisees. When we thought, oh, here, the Pharisees, they're coming up again. (laughs) They've been dealt with by Jesus, surely. Now, these are people who were Pharisees, a bit like Paul. Paul was a Pharisee, trained in the law, trained in the thing of Moses. They, like Paul, have come to faith, but they've still got this cultural thing. They've still got a a growing up and an understanding of, of God through this law, through their customs. And so these people are probably sincere. But as I said a few weeks ago, you can be sincere, but you can also be sincerely wrong. Even though we're sincere, we can believe that we're right, but this is where sometimes Acts challenges our thinking and challenges our theology. As, as we look at stuff, well, maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe my upbringing has caused me to not understand that doctrine correctly. And these sincerely wrong Christians, they're saved. They're people in the church. They're not outsiders. These are people in the church saying these things. And so that's why this council was so important for our church history. Because imagine if the council said, yes, you're right. They do have to obey the law of Moses to be a Christian, to be saved. Wouldn't that have changed things? We would have had praise and worship songs like Amazing Law, How Sweet the Works. That saved a wonderful person like me. Or what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the law of Moses. <laughs> so the apostles and elders met to consider these questions. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now this is Peter, the apostle that got up at Pentecost, preached the first sermon, church is born, spirit comes upon people. And, and all through Acts, we've been sort of following Peter's journey. This is the last time we're going to see Peter mentioned in Acts. Remember, I mentioned that Acts is about where the Spirit is at work. And, and Luke's going to now follow where the Spirit is going to send Paul and Barnabas and Silas out into mission. This is the last time we see Peter. But Peter gets up and he says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Now, what story might he be telling about there? Peter and Cornelius, right? So Cornelius, the first Gentile, the whole household was believed. Now, Peter thought that this was an abomination. He had to be corrected in his thinking, didn't he? He was sincerely wrong. But he, once he saw God at work, he saw, oh, this is a new thing God's doing. So he's saying, now, just sometimes we read through Acts and we think, oh, this happened and then that happened and then next week that happened and then next month. Cornelius is probably something between seven and ten years ago at this point now. So there's a, there's a lot of time there for the disciples to kind of work this stuff out. But this is, this is the story. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe, here it is, black and white, we believe that it is through grace in our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Now, Peter says two very interesting things in his argument. Number one, he says God didn't discriminate. God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile. God allowed the Gentiles to receive salvation and the Holy Spirit as a, as a seal of their, of their state in him. So if God hasn't discriminated, God hasn't made a distinction, why have you made a distinction? In other words, why are you playing God? Secondly, the old covenant didn't work anyway. <laughs> why we couldn't we couldn't live up to the standard. We couldn't follow the full 
letter to the law. Our ancestors couldn't do it. It was a failed system. Why are you now, even though it didn't work for us, are putting it on them? That's daft. It's not Jesus and. It's just Jesus. If, if the law is like oil and grace of Christ in salvation is like water, you can't mix the two, can you? Try and mix oil and water? Like, it, they just can't be together. It's, it's silly trying to add to the finished work of Christ. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus said, it's finished, it's finished. Why add something to it? Why now command there to be some sort of regulation or, or thing that you also have to go through as well as believing in Jesus? It's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. It's a silly concept. It, he's saying it's like, imagine going into an art gallery and going up to a, a Rembrandt and going, well, look, you've, you've made a good start there, but let me get out my pencil and just, just add a little bit to just finish it off for you because it's not a finished work. One of the very f most famous pictures probably Imagine going up to that and going, well, Leonardo, you, you've done a nice start. I don't think it's quite finished yet. And you get out your crayon and you draw on the Mona Lisa. Doesn't that sound silly, doesn't it, Amy? Like, why would you do that? It, it's silly. You wouldn't do it, would you? But late last night, I was probably tired. I thought I'd give it a go. <laughs> Just to show you how silly it would be. It's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. It's, you can't add to the finished work of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple that separated mankind from a holy God was torn in two. Mankind could not enter into a, a holy presence, a holy God, because of the sin that entangled us. Jesus' work on the cross, his finished once and for all work on the cross, removed every barrier, everything that could ever hinder us from entering into his presence. That curtain was done away with. And Peter's saying, you want to get out your sewing machine and sew it back up again. So the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were also proof of what God was doing, had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James, now this is not James that has passed away, but this is James's half, uh, Jesus' half-brother. James was there at Pentecost, it said, in the room when, when the Spirit came and that he and his, his family and Mary, the mother, also uh, received the faith. And now James has actually taken up leadership in Jerusalem church. It wasn't Peter, it's actually James who's taken on the leadership here. And James speaks up. He says, brothers, listen to me. Now it says in... The NIV says Simon. It shouldn't say Simon. It should say Simeon. Because James is saying, using his Jewish name to say, hey, look, here's a Jew who's saying that what you're saying is wrong. He's <laughs> kind of putting ammunition into his argument. Simeon, who's the original name for Peter, remember Jesus gave Simon the name Peter? has described to us how God had first intervened to choose people for his name for his name from the Gentiles. Now, taking it to a whole council is one way to, to silence someone who might have a wrong way of thinking. The other way is that we look at the scriptures. We are a people of the book. If we want to understand God's will for us, then we look to the scriptures. Because there it is written for us. There he has given us his word to lead us. 
Peter did it at Pentecost. Paul did it in his first sermon in his missionary journey. They all go back to the scriptures and they say, this is not just a new thing, but it's planned from long ago. It was always God's design. And if you read every prophet, it's, it, he chooses one, Amos, but every prophet talks about a time coming where the Gentiles will be included in his salvation. And so he does that. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this I'll return and build David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord and even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who do these things. Things known from long ago. From long ago it has been God's plan, always has been for salvation for all mankind. So James says then, it is my judgment, like I'm the leader, it, like we've discussed this, we've, we've heard the evidence, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, because it would be a difficult thing, wouldn't it? I have come to faith, Jesus is awesome. Now go and do all these things required by the law, especially you grown men. It would be difficult who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled of animals and from blood. For the, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest of times. And it's read. Now, when I first read that, I thought, hang on a minute. You've just said you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. And now you're just putting all of these requirements on people that look very Jewish. Isn't that, isn't that a contradiction? What's actually happening here is we've got very customed Jewish traditional people coming to faith and we've got very pagan outside of that world coming to faith and being church together. And if these people do a certain thing, which they're free to do, you know, there's no law. But if they do that, it might actually upset these people. And so for the sake and for the blessing of the Jewish believers amongst you, just abstain from doing these things because that will actually help them. These weren't permanent laws. These were a temporary thing to do in order to enable there to be unity in the church. In fact, Paul, later on in Romans 14, if you want to look that up when you get home, he addresses the whole food polluted to idols things. And he said, well, it's, idols are nothing. And so there's actually no power in it. And he kind of undoes this uh, requirement in saying that. But in that, in that chapter, he says, don't become a stumbling block for believers. And that's the message that the Jerusalem Council are giving to the Gentiles. Don't become a stumbling block for the Jews. And Peter actually kind of says that if we go back to... In verse 11, I don't know if you noticed this, I kind of skipped over it on purpose. He said, We believe it is through grace in our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Ooh. It's not that they're saved just like us. It's that we Jews are saved in the same way that the Gentiles are saved. <laughs> by faith in Jesus. By no works of the law. Now I'm going to have to skip through the Mona Lisa. There you go, just do it again. <laughs> Is that you, Darby? All right. Um, so, they... I think because of time, we're just going to skip through. They, they write a letter, and it's a wonderful letter describing the things that they, they said. Um, and this letter is met with joy. Again, if, if it was met with sorrow, then there probably wouldn't have been truth in it. But the whole council, the body of Christ, go, yeah, this is a good thing. And so they, they do that. Now, in verse... Skipping to verse 36. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas say, let's go up and visit the believers in Galatia, the, the towns that we preach to. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, John Mark, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued in the work. Do you remember the first missionary journey? They, they sail over to Cyprus and then John leaves and it's not, there's no reason given for that. But Paul has, has an issue with it. And Barnabas was the cousin of John Mark. So Barnabas is now a bit upset because, oh, you don't want to take my cousin with me. So we have another disagreement. We had a disagreement to start with. Now we've got a disagreement with, between two of the, the, the missionary journeyers. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Wow. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Do you remember that's their hometown? So they kind of went back to their own region. But Paul chose Silas. Silas was one of the people that came with the letter to Antioch and left commended by the believers by the grace of the Lord. Now, I look at that and I think, wow, there's another argument. Uh, isn't the church supposed to be full of, like, getting on the same page and, and that sort of thing? And there was an argument here, and the question I ask is, who was right? <laughs> was, was Paul right or was Barnabas right? Well, surely Paul was right because he's always right. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, Paul is kind of... If he did a personality test, I reckon Paul would be that A-type personality, you know, that strong leader that kind of demands your attention. Because when Paul says something, people stand up and listen. But what we have here, what I love here, is again we see the spirit at work. Because the spirit even used an argument between these two men. Because now we don't have one missionary team, but we've got two and we've got the spread of the gospel going further than it would have if they didn't disagree. So God can sometimes use your disagreements. But what we have here, I think, in Paul and Barnabas are two different leadership types. Neither are wrong. Both are needed in the church. Paul is that go get him kind of a guy. And Barnabas was the son of encouragement. He was the guy, he was the one that gave Paul his first go. Paul came after getting saved back to Jerusalem and and they're all like, whoa. And and Barnabas was one, nah, nah, give him a go. Give him a a chance. He's the son of encouragement. And we need both doers and encouragers in our church. In fact, Paul would look at a person and say, what can this person do for the work of God? That's the kind of guy he is. Come on, what can you do for the work of God? Barnabas was the kind of guy that would look at a person and say, what can the work of God do for this person? Neither are wrong, both are right, and both are needed. But I just want to end by coming back to this whole point in Acts chapter 15 about certain people. And if we're honest, we can potentially turn our noses up and say, yeah, there's certain people. But if we're honest, sometimes we're those certain people. Because those certain people were putting up a barrier and stopping people from receiving the grace of God. Have you ever been to a, um, to like a, a party place or a theatre or something and they've got these things and there's, there's often a, a bouncer there in his suit as a gatekeeper and he's, he's sort of saying, yeah, you've got a ticket, you can come in. Oh, stuck. I'm going to have to turn it around because I'm going to open and close it. Um, and it's like, yeah, you can come in. Oh, no, you don't have a ticket, you can't come in. Or oh, you don't look right. You know, we've got a dress code here. You've got to come back. In fact, in the church, there will always be certain people who stand closed-minded in front of open doors as a barrier to those who desire to enter in. I'm going to say that again. There will always be certain people who stand closed-minded in front of open doors as a barrier to those who enter, want to enter in. The, 
the, the group of the, from the Pharisees, see, they were, they were in. <laughs> they, they were in and they liked being in because it made them feel special, made them feel important. And the gospel of grace has been opened up and now there's a floodgate of people coming in and they're saying, hang on a minute, that makes me not special anymore. Ooh. Do we do that? I like it how it is. Maybe I don't want our church to grow. I don't like the type of people in Blackwood. I, I, I'm, I like it like this. And I'm happy here. But the gospel of grace is that we should take and empowered by the Spirit, his word of truth, and say, the curtain has been torn. There is no barrier. There is no hurdle. There is no requirement. There is nothing more than just believing in Jesus. By grace alone and faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. But do we sometimes do that? In fact, I came across something years and years ago, and I've been waiting for the right time to do it. And as I was preparing for this morning, I was like, oh, okay, this morning's it. And I came across this idea that we see in all of our churches and it's a paradigm that we adopt because we think that this is the way it should be, is that, number one, we believe. We come to faith in Christ. We believe. Then as we believe and we come to the church, we behave. We kind of get our lives in order. We, we you know, sort out those nasty bits in our, in our lives and we live a good Christian life. We behave. Right? And then I've put a line there because until those two things are done, then we belong. Only when we believe the right things and behave the right way, do the right things, then we belong to the church. And this belonging may take some time. Now, this is not the gospel at all. This is not the way we should structure ourselves or think about what it means to evangelise and to share the good news of Jesus. This is not the way Jesus operated. We've got to take the belong and put it to the top. So you ready? Check this out. Yeah. That took me about half an hour to do. So, I, I, so I'm just going to do it again just to make, make worth of that. Okay, so number three goes to the top. Okay, and then the other two come down. Yeah. Thank, thank you. The gospel of grace is that you belong. There is no barrier. Jesus loves you just as you are. There is no requirement. There are no hurdles to jump over. There is no barrier to get through, through your good works. You're accepted. You are loved. You are included. You are brought into the Holy of Holies. You are welcomed. You belong. Isn't that good news? You belong. And because you belong, you receive the revelation of what Jesus has done for you and you believe. Thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. I receive your salvation. I thank you for what you've done on the cross, that you took away every barrier, everything that could ever get me distant from you and you brought me into your home. Thank you, Jesus. And then in that state of thankfulness, we respond by seeing our behaviour transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this may take some time. <laughs> right? We don't behave because we need to get in. We're already in. 
We behave because we're being transformed more and more into Christ-likeness, day after day after day. Now, yesterday as I had a little nap, <laughs> I was just praying and thinking about this word. And I was like, Lord, I kind of feel like I'm not really there. There's, there's something missing. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, yeah, you're going to be talking about how we do this to others. We create this barrier for them to come into the church, come into the faith. I felt like the Holy Spirit say, but we also do this to ourselves. Jesus has done everything so that we are in his family, adopted as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. We're in. And yet we look around at other people who are maybe in and we go, oh, I don't pray like them. Well, I don't witness in my workplace like them. Oh, they worship with their hands raised. I must not be good enough. And so we go and do this and say, well, I must have some work to do in order for me to be part of the church. How about this one? Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Wow. He died upon the cross for me. He accepts me. He loves me. But I don't even love myself. How can God possibly love me? I don't think I deserve to be here. Now, as a, as a youth pastor for many, many years, this was a big one, particularly for young girls. I don't love myself. How can God possibly love me? Well, how about this one? This is probably where I am honest and what I do. Hey, I'm in. I'm included. Joy. Freedom. Life. Oh, I just stuffed up really badly. <laughs> oh, messed up. Messed up. done the wrong thing. I've sinned. I've fallen short. Oh, that must mean I'm out. And we put ourselves outside of the grace of God. Friends, you are in. Jesus loves you so much that he would give his life for you that whoever believes in his name won't die but have eternal life. No matter what you're going through, no matter how you see yourself, no matter how you've lived your life, you are in and you are loved. You are included. You belong. Let that just rest over you. Don't then put a barrier in front of you and God because it's not there. He's torn that curtain into. He's done away with it. You can come freely as you are with all of your quirks, with all of your mistakes, however you look, however you don't look, and come freely and boldly into the presence of God. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you for those men who contended vehemently for your faith, for this foundational truth that it is by grace we are saved, not by any good works, not by becoming something first, but that you and your love for us gave yourself up that we might be included, that we might be invited into the feast, that we might be like Zacchaeus, up a tree and feeling out of it. But you said to him, come, I'm going to dine with you today. You belong. You belong to me. And out of that he came to faith and his behaviour changed. 
Lord, thank you that you've removed every barrier, every hurdle, every requirement that we can just freely come. We can raise our hands, blessing you, praising you, knowing that you love us unconditionally because of your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite the song team up. You might need to move the barrier. <laughs> just want to read to you some of the words of what we're just going to sing in a moment. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. That's the oil. That's the law that didn't work. But in deep desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name, Jesus, into the night. Then here comes the living water. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Hallelujah. The end is written. Jesus Christ is my living hope. Friends, if you've come this morning and you've got a burden on your heart, if you've come this morning and you look around and you think, I'm not like them, or I've done this thing, or I don't even love myself, know this, that Jesus said it's finished. My work is done. I'm not going to add to that. You can just come to him this morning. You can raise your hands in surrender and say, Jesus, thank you for your finished work. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for loving me. I just want to just bask in your grace this morning. Let's stand together. And as you sing, I invite the Spirit to come and just speak to you. What is Jesus saying to you this morning? as you respond to him now. Thank you, Sam. What a wonderful message. What a great reminder. Um, I just want to share a quick story for myself as well. When I was 12 years old, um, I really wanted to get baptised. And so um, went through with that and it was an expectation that now I would behave perfectly. <laughs> um, that exact moment after church, the kids had found these long strands of bamboo and we'd pulled them down and a big whipping competition started. <laughs> and I whacked some kid really hard, made him cry. And it was just this guilt that came over me. Oh, no, I've ruined it. I've ruined my salvation. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, working that out as a kid, young kid, throughout the years after that moment. Um, and when I, um, at, a, at a youth camp, you know, just was filled with the Spirit and then realised that, hey, actually, no, it's as you are that I love you. And uh, what a great reminder that there is nothing we can add, nothing. So, uh, yeah, thank you. And that little diagram, fantastic, just real reflection. I'm going to ask Willie to come up. She's just got a word to share with us as well. So thanks, Willie. Hi, I won't keep you very long. I just had this, heart, this word burning in my heart all morning. And I don't know whether you're aware, but when um, the Apostle John said that um, the, the disciple that Jesus loved was, was John, do you know the disciple that wrote that was John? None of the others did. John said he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Michael Stewart, you are the disciple that Jesus loved, loves. Richard, you are the disciple that Jesus loves. Nadine, Jenny Pope, Sarah Grogan, you are the disciple that Jesus loves. Judith, Jess, you're the disciple that Jesus loves. Narina, you are the disciple that Jesus loves. 
you can all say this to yourself. Gabriel, you're the disciple Jesus loves. He loves us all. Say to yourself, I am the disciple that Jesus loves because he does. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Willie. Oh, you're okay. You're right. Good one. All right, well, let's, let's close in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just, we submit ourselves to you, Lord. There is nothing we can do to add to what you've done for us. But you call us to walk forward in your ways. And we just uh, do that with our head held high and that you are uh, there to support us and to um, embrace us. Thank you, Father. We bless your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, team. Uh, We'll leave it there. And we've got some coffee to share and just time for some fellowship. And uh, if you would like prayer, if there's something on your heart, um, don't forget we have the prayer room out here. Or if you want to come forward and have prayer, uh, we'll join you with that too. So bless you as you go out this week. We'll see you next time.